What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck that no longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. We just, he's sitting right here in front of us, <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table in this house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're just, fuck we're him. just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client we'd look after, and then we find out he hasn't, find out paid he the hasn't bill. been paying us. He's doing it right now, so <laughs> we may as well tell people that if they're in Australia and you need dog gear. Don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. There you go. Nice. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right, on to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine Suticles. Yep. The best canine suticles. Premium grade. Yep. Human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. It's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes. In Canada. In Canada. Yes. Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. What were we pushing for him? It's puppy class. Puppy class. Yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara DeGroote. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love Barbara. She just loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that literally is the thing's called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We Thank appreciate you. Thank you, Barbara. You. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Yeah. yeah. The box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an we ad have. since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did he pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally he it's does it. Deal. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well, like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club South Dog Club, Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's got It's a there. great facility. Get yes. in, check it out. He does all the, all the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. You yeah, know? he's got some cool artwork. Yeah, it looks there. good. Check yeah. it out for yeah, sure. it's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We've got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have too. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. yep. So if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, check it out. Taylor so they Canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. So thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. 
If you would like to be an advertiser, <laughs> do it. Reach out to us. Shut up, you buffhead. So I know that on Patreon, and we appreciate people just putting money in there. That's wonderful. Yes, but we do have to limit how many people we have. And so, get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you, and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser, and that you align with our ethos as well. Of that, course, that's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yes. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing it. Has that gone through yet? No, because still trying. Has got shit <laughs> Dan Croft, puppy classes, yep. cool facility. Barber de Groot. Amazing sugar mama, love her, from the hot dog training. George Kittridge. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Daniel Tropiano, Tropino. Tro- dog clubs. Troppy Daniel. <laughs> dog clubs. Australia. <laughs> yeah. And new to the family, tailored canines. Yeah. All the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah. Mo- do. Mostly from the United States. One from Oz. Well done. Well played. Thank you, sirs and Matt. Check them out. They support us. Yeah. You should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And joining us all the way from Queensland is Sam King of Therapy Dogs Australia. Sam, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, we've been talking a little bit lately and I just thought that your whole business model and everything that you do is kind of fascinating. We've touched on it a little bit when Bertie was first on the show and she spoke about getting her dog Luna initially to be a therapy dog and that didn't work out because the Mm. dog wasn't the kind of dog that turned out to be suitable. But when we've been talking recently, I thought it'd be a wonderful idea to get you on the show and tell our audience about who you are and what you do. Give us the rundown, Sam. How did you get into dog training? And give us the 50,000-foot view of you and Therapy Dogs Australia, and then let's get into some details on it. Glad you asked because it's a great story. <laughs> Good. Okay. I want to hear it because I don't know anything about it. You guys have been riffing about it, but I know nothing, so this is an education for me yeah. too. Hi, my name is Sam, and I am a balanced dog trainer. So this is not Alcoholics Anonymous. This is a safe space. So I'm a psychologist. I've been a psychologist for about something over 10 years. Stop counting. You get to a milestone. You're like, cool. Got Mm -hmm. it. Is there a field that you specialized in psychology? Can't really say specialized unless we have an endorsement, but my area is Mm. kids and teens, young adults, primarily got some adult clients, but primarily kids, teens, young adults. And primarily neurodiverse, so, you know, ADHD, autism, stuff like that. And my other niche is that I do animal-assisted therapies. So the correct terminology is psychology-assisted by canines, and I also do psychology-assisted by equines and psychology in a farm-based setting. I've got a little hobby farm here in Queensland, North Brisbane, and I've got horses and You know, the dogs are here and chickens and stuff going on. Getting some goats soon. I know it's a bad idea, but I've committed. (laughs) Very cute. The kids are going to love it. I did my degree and then psychology is like the worst. It's a long degree with post-grad stuff as well. And I did the internship and it's hard to get. Well, back then it was. It was really hard to get an internship. I got stuck in my retail job for a bit and I got this dog who's Sunny, Sunny Banana, my Labrador, who's now nearly 13. I ended up getting like an internship, but sort of not really. I didn't get a lot of work through it, but I didn't know that because I was young and I was like, oh, I've got a job. 
and I quit my retail job. And then I was like, just at home, like not really working and like, didn't understand the Centrelink thing at that point. So I just spent all my savings on trying to live. And it was like, oh my goodness, like, (laughs) okay. And I had this puppy and I was so worried that I couldn't afford him. Like I was so stressed that I wasn't going to be able to keep this dog. And I was in love with this dog. So I decided I was going to train him to be the best possible dog in that he could be, because if I have to give him away, he'll get a good home because I was so unstable in my whole situation. So I took him to my local training place and just got totally addicted to the train. Like, I guess a lot of people's stories, actually, I think a lot of people's stories start with a really difficult dog mm. getting into dog training, but mine was with the best dog in the world. Right, so. Okay. <laughs> so you had it easy. <laughs> I had it really easy. You know, things progressed with my internship and I was spending time with clients, be in sessions with people and be like, oh, I just, I don't know, this feel like these people need to meet Sunny. Like, I just feel like they need to meet this dog. They, maybe they need a dog. I don't know. Like, cause it just was such a big thing for me. I was like pretty not great while this was, I was like largely unemployed and running out of money and pretty stressed while this is happening. And he just kept me having to look after him. Like it just kept me like, okay, well, at least I've got to do something about this dog because he needs to have a good home if I can't keep him because I'm poor (laughs) and share housing and stuff, you know. Then I like Googled it and it turned out that animal assisted therapy was a thing. And I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) So I went and trained the dog and he did his training. He was became a, a therapy dog when he was 18 months old. And since then we've worked in all these different settings, community, mental health and stuff like that finished my internship, started a practice. So I run an uh, allied health private practice, so multidisciplinary, but we're all animal assisted. So everyone there is canine assisted, just like any other allied health practice, We, you know, group of psychologists, whatever, but we've all got therapy dogs. So people come and do their usual psychology or speech therapy or whatever, and there's a dog in the room, but I'll explain that more later. That's we're turning nine in March. So that's been going for a while. And then you need multiple dogs. If you want to work full time in the field, you need multiple dogs because we rotate the dogs to prevent them from getting burnout. So, you know, I got another dog and another dog and now I've got three dogs. The thing about going out and having a therapy dog is that everywhere you go, people like other clinicians would be like, I want to do that. Like, this is cool. Like, what's the dog do? Like, I want to bring my dog. And the only training that was available was interstate. So, I was like trying to send people interstate, but people didn't want to spend the money. And, you know, I'd been down there multiple times and it was super expensive. And I was like, oh, trying to get the trainers to come up here. And it's the whole thing. And then what happened was people started taking their dogs without any training because there's no regulation around it. You did get some formal certification to have your dog in the practice with you and to be assisting you in the therapy. And that training is a long way from you. And, but you notice other people were just doing it without any sort of training or anything like that. Just having their rando pet dog in the, in the session with them. There's got to be a giant pool of risk involved in that, right? Like the the selection of the dog. I could talk about that for about eight hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It drives me, people still do it. Mm -hmm. It drives me absolutely insane. We're not unregulated. We think we're unregulated, but we're not. But I'll go into that in more detail because it's, it's fairly important. So I started Therapy Dogs Australia. That's the short of it. So I, you know, I did a trainer's training course, 
which wasn't accredited. And then I went back and did NDTF mm-hmm. later. That must be like four or five years or something ago now. Sorry if anyone's listening and was in my NDTF block and is like, no, it's not. <laughs> like it's I've lost enough. track of time. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> COVID happened. I feel like that was like a month ago. I don't know. I've lost everything for the last three years. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> so I started Therapy Dogs Australia to give access to people. So I started doing like just workshops, like a, as a clinician. So saying like, okay, so this is what animal assisted therapy is. Call my intro. We still run that workshop to this day. Mm-hmm. We just keep doing it because I want people to know what they don't know. So this is what you don't know about the industry. And it is a thing. It's not just taking your pet dog into work. And then yeah, I did my trainer's training and then we started training dogs. That was in 2016. We've been doing that now, I don't know, seven years or whatever, or COVID math, I don't know, like four years. So if you go back to, I think it was March 2020 that Queensland got with like COVID hit us Mm -hmm. pretty hard and everything was shutting down. It was like, you can't, that was when all that stuff happened. And I was like, God damn, because we had my uh, allied health clinic stayed open because we were essential, but Therapy Dogs Australia was like going to be not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And people were traveling into state to come to us. And we had like a lot of local teams and I was like, far out. So we went online. So I put all my dog training stuff on in, made a video library, put it all online. And we run it via Zoom. And I was like, okay, but then we need to assess the dogs. Obviously, we need hands on the dogs. At first, I was like, oh, they can come. Because this is when you could do like open air stuff. And so I would get them to like come and still I would temperament test the dogs. But then the restrictions just got stricter and stricter. People couldn't travel and whatever. So we reached out and we use locum dog trainers all over Australia. We have dog trainers all over the country, so Northern Territory, Western Australia, Tasmania, um, that we've found and contacted and our students have contacted and reached out to them and we have a criteria. So if they are fully insured, so we require public liability and professional indemnity insurance and they're accredited, so they need to be an accredited dog trainer, even though I do very much personally respect your 45 years' experience working in dogs for us, for our insurance purposes, we require an accreditation. Sure. And I think that people should do it. Like personally, I just also think people should do it and be willing to work with us. So that's like the main one as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some people aren't. But the way that that model works is we have our assessment form and we train the team. So we do the obedience and manners training. And then when they're all done, that we do that by video. And then they've done all their theory, their coursework, and then they submit their video obedience and assessment, obedience and manners stuff. And then they go and do their temperament assessment and they get this dog trainer. The model, I was like, this is not going to work because we know in the dog training industry, like people don't really work together that much. So there's a little rift in the industry. (laughs) And I was like, this is not going to go that well, but we either do this or we just shut down for all this time. And I know people are taking dogs. That's been my driving force for this the whole time is people are taking dogs into schools and workplaces with no dog knowledge at all so we cover dog knowledge that's why we did that podcast with Narelle like we're covering dog knowledge and we're also covering industry knowledge as well so that's their professional industry so it's for you know psychologists occupational therapists speeches we've trained psychiatrists GPs dentists anything you think of podiatrists like and counselors social workers but we also do community visitation dogs as well so people that are um, just taking dogs out to visit nursing homes and stuff like that We've been using these locum dog trainers and they just 
The student contacts them, they book in, they pay them. We don't pay them, they don't pay us. The doctor doesn't pay us anything, we don't pay anything to them. The student pays and then they send us the paperwork and I review it all and put it together with the rest of the students' assignments and we make a decision about the team, whether they're a pass or fail. And it's working so well. Mm. It's working so well. The dog trainers are legends. I am just bewildered. Obviously, there's been a couple along the way that I've been like, we might just remove this person's name from the list due to professional misconduct. <laughs> like right, I just right. carried on a little bit. And you would know, especially Glenn, like when people are doing an assessment, they freak out. The handlers are getting stressed. So we don't need more stress on top of that. So, you know, any of the trainers that were sort of laying it on about why you shouldn't be doing this and that with your dog and whatever else, or just, and we don't even care. Like, so we're not in this person's area. So we're like, we encourage the dog trainers, like sign them up to whatever you do, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, we keep them like mm-hmm. with, cause it's not going to affect what I do because we just need to assess them every 12 months after that. Let me see if I understand it all correctly. So you guys, as Therapy Dogs Australia, you provide an online portal to clinicians who want to start doing animal-assisted mm-hmm. therapy. Through you, they receive their education on how to do that and the you mm-hmm. know how to train their dog to the standard that you'll need them to have the dog at. And then wherever mm-hmm. they are in Australia, they get in touch with a local trainer that you have a list of that you recommend, but they can use anyone yeah. and they mm-hmm. can finish their training and then that trainer does something like their public access test for them and then they're good mm-hmm. to go ahead and begin animal assisted therapy. That's the gist, right? Yeah. Before we go on too much more, feel free, this is a bit of a choose your own adventure. Hit me with the stats or be totally anecdotal. Animal assisted therapy, what's the point? Why are you doing that? Why is that any better than non-animal assisted therapy? What are you achieving here? Great question. The research is not great. So (laughs) the research field is behind the clinicians in the field. It is a very difficult area to research. There's a lot of variables, including species of animal, including discipline of therapist, including presentation of client. So we've got all these different variables. And Mm. when you research something, you've got to replicate it. Mm. So that's really hard to do because you would literally have to go dog with psychologist with children age this to this with this diagnosis confirmed with this modality of therapy, then you'd have to redo that a heap of times. Sure. Don't come at me, people. But I think the question that we have answered is do people like it? Yes. There's a couple of questions in the research that keep getting repeated. I know because researchers contact us. Like, you know, they just keep asking the same questions, but they're things that we've already I think we've established. So let's get on to the next layer of questions, which would be designing the types of studies that I just described. Mm-hmm. The studies that are out, they're promising, so really promising, heaps of limitations. So the trends are in the right direction, but the study design and strength, not ideal. So hard to get it right though. From an anecdotal or like my personal experience, Sunny's nearly 13, so I've been doing this for eleven and a half and a half years. Generally speaking, access especially kids, but also adults are more likely to attend their therapy sessions because they want to see the dog. We develop human animal bond. The idea is that the handler is the facilitator of a relationship between the client and the dog. 
And that's why our dogs need quite a lot of personality and quite a lot of freedom because we're actually stepping out of that space and allowing them to build that relationship together. Once they've built that relationship, we piggyback off of that. So where it would take, you know, clinicians can will expect, um, I'm a psychologist, I'll talk from a psychology perspective. So as I'm talking, I'm probably talking about psychologists. We would expect sort of three sessions to build rapport would be sort of reasonable with a dog in the room. It's one session, you know, like it's really fast because the relationship builds with the dog really quickly. And so with that, like there's a lot of modeling. So how my relationship with the dog as well is being modeled to the client. So they're getting a really good idea of who I am and also how they're going to be treated and what that relationship is going to be like too. So, but if they like the dog, they got a relationship with the dog and it's my dog, like we get to piggyback off of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So relationships built really quickly, which means we can get to work, which means that in a shorter amount of time, we can get greater outcomes, greater therapeutic outcomes. So we find that we get more retention. So that people keep coming back to their appointments, which is key to any success at all, any gains. But we also have like, it's just faster. It just seems faster. There's things like, Increased disclosure. So particularly in low disclosure groups of clients, like they're more likely to disclose more in therapy. Got to be careful with that because we can get what's called a vulnerability hangover. So if I make you feel really safe to tell me things that you didn't plan on telling me now, and then you leave and you you leave and I'm gone and the dog's gone and you're left with that, like, oh, I just told her all that shit that I didn't actually want to tell anybody. Mm -hmm. That can be a barrier to people returning. We actually have to be very careful with overdisclosure and we teach our students about that and like how to um, keep somebody feeling safe. If they start, there's signs, they'll start saying a few, there's a few little things that people say when I like, oh, wait, they weren't planning on telling me this, Mm -hmm. you know, and we can pause and take a beat and discuss whether like how things are going. So things are faster. So like with our kids that I work with, you're lucky to get 10 minutes out of them um, of anything meaningful or useful in their 15-minute session. So you end up with the most difficult client groups because we're often the place where people go when they've tried everything else already and it didn't work or this person has refused to go anywhere. Uh, And I warn our students about that too. I'm like, I hope that you're up for having the most difficult client load (laughs) that we can get in your area because that's who's going to be on your books these kids they don't want to talk to anyone you know when they can't tap into stuff that sort of thing or they're adhd or whatever or they're super avoidant changing the conversation topic all the time and all that sort of stuff what happens a lot in these sessions with kids is that we got to do a lot of making them comfortable and you know playing 60 games of uno and whatever and trying to get them to a point and you'll get to a certain stage and they'll work on something or maybe at the very beginning of the session they're happy to work with you on something so um, we might have a like a I use CBT primarily so it's cognitive behavioral therapy so I might have a worksheet that's you know going to help them understand worry and maybe we can get that done but or half done and then they're like I'm not doing anything else mm-hmm. like no thanks and I'm like cool we have 40 minutes left so when you have a dog, we get to take breaks. Even though you could take a break and play a game, all of the chemical stuff that happens, like when we take a break or well, the dogs come in, they might interrupt and give us a break or something like that. And they get all of that positive feelings and hormones and all that stuff happening because they're having a play break with the dog or we do a game with the dog or something like that. 
And it's like they just get a reset. These kids get like a little bit of a reset in their whole system. They regulate again. And then I can do another, the second half of the worksheet, or I can do another worksheet or something like that. So what ends up happening a lot is I get like three mini sessions in one session. So where it would have taken me either three weeks or three fortnights to get that much work done, it takes me one session. Those types of things mean that we can get a lot of stuff done quickly. And that's what families are after. Like people come because they're in distress, like people are in distress. Mm -hmm. So if we're trying to work on something, we want to get a lot of psychoeducation, especially done as quick as possible, as quick as the client can handle it. Having the dogs there really helps with that. We also do what's called animal assisted intervention. So the dogs are a part of the intervention, the learning itself. So it could be anything from like, we teach zones of regulation, which is your arousal system, basically. So how aroused are you? Blue zone, green zone, yellow zone, red zone, red zone's out of control. And we print out pictures of the dogs in each zone. And okay. then you have to, got to you got to cut them out. What, do, what zone is Nala in? And they can put them in the zones and understand it. Whereas if you're like, what zone are you in? They're like, I don't know. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Through the animal assisted therapy, you get more people turning up and you're more efficient in the mm-hmm. session because the dog gives you more natural breaks and resets the system pretty well. Can you tell us a little bit about the type of dog that would be suitable for this sort of thing? Because like, I'm always kind of curious about it. Again, it, it's the theme at the moment in my life is about perception. What can a dog really think? What can a dog really feel? I've accused my Springer Spaniel of being quite empathetic in the past. And I don't know that that's something that a dog can be, but she certainly has done something that feels like she's demonstrated that to me, but to her detriment. I've told a story on the podcast before, little girl that lives in the building, her cat died. She came over to our house, was very upset about it. Saw my dog and was, you know, continued to be somewhat upset about her dead cat sat by herself Mm -hmm. and Valerie, who never sits still, went and sat in her lap for just five or 10 minutes. They had a moment together. And then the little girl went off and was playing with my son, but Valerie was in quite bad shape afterwards and had to take herself Mm. like outside and very clearly Mm -hmm. was affected by it and had to recover. And so I'm curious, what do you see of that? And and is that something that you have to be very careful of? Do you have dogs Mm -hmm. that are specifically selected to you know, like that are happy idiots that can shake it off or are you better Mm -hmm. with a dog like her that really can take the emotional load of someone? So in humans, we'd call that compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. And it's something that like a lot of therapists get. My dogs aren't like that, but we do train a lot of people that describe their dogs are like that. And like you say, like they think that's going to be such a great therapy dog, but it's sort of not. I'm fine for them to do the job, but I always talk with those people about, like we would talk about self-care. So a lot of therapists that fit that mold as well of like, they take a lot on, which I don't, but lots do. And those therapists have to do a lot more self-care and they need to really watch their work hours and things like that. And they need to be refilling their cup all the time, which we all have to do, but they've got to be really careful with it. And I have that conversation with those teams as well about like, if you've got a dog that's like that, then I think you've got to be really careful with it. And it's like a welfare issue Mm -hmm. with the dog in terms of how much you're going to work with them. And, you know, being really aware of that, that's not just so lovely to see, which it is, but also it's, it's taxing as well. My dogs don't seem to be like that. I've got a horse that's like that. Her name is Winter and she, so all my horses are Brumbies. I didn't mention as well, I train Brumbies as well. So horses that have 
been wild living and they come in and we train them and, and I teach people how to train them as well. So the thing about winter, she'll do this thing where if someone seems to be carrying, they're very perceptive. Someone seems to be carrying a lot of stuff. She follows everyone around anyway, but she'll come over and she will leave and then like yawn and yawn and mm. yawn. And then she'll come back, stand with them. And then she'll leave and yawn and yawn and yawn. It can be really powerful to explain to the client what's happening there. Like it's likely that that horse has picked up something that I'm not aware of that's mm-hmm. going on for the client. So we, that's what animal system therapy is really all about is like, Hey, I've noticed that this is happening with winter. What does that mean? Does that mean anything? So for um, you as a clinician, that gives you like a, an access point to the person. You can yeah. say, instead of saying, I noticed that you're not doing well, yeah. you can say winter is acting odd. Is everything yeah. okay with you? Right. Yeah. And really important not to go, uh, winter told me that you're not okay. Right. Like, <laughs> you can't be anthropomorphic in your response, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And also I'm I'm aware that some people think that the therapy animals are doing all the work, but they're not. The therapist is mm. doing the work. The therapist is the one that's registered with APRA. <laughs> the therapist is one that's following all the rules, of code of conduct and all that sort of stuff. The animal's just there. And if they're useful, they're useful. And if they're not, they're not. So I don't want to put too much on winter told me that. And I know what she's at. Like she's a horse, you know, settle down. But she does have this pattern of behavior and I've noticed it. And does that mean anything? Working with people with autism, a lot of people that they're lacking that insight or they don't know what's going on for them. So that could be too much of a challenge as well for me to be like, what's going on? Winter said something's going on. It's just raise the question and, you know, use this space to process that and have a think about it. The thing about when I have explained it, because it's, you know, be teenagers and that. So the kids can then get worried about the animals. Mm. So we used to think called worry dolls. You make worry doll and you tell the doll your worries. But the problem with that is the kid is now worried about the worry doll being worried. You have to make like 50 worry dolls so that they can pass it on and not spread the load of all the worries. (laughs) Literally make so many worry dolls. But the thing about winter is that she was wild living for 11 years in the Carnarvon Gorge in the desert and she went through the drought and lots of stuff. She's had a heap of foals. She was a lead mare of her band. So she's a very strong, she's the leader of our herd here as well. She's a very, very strong horse and she knows what she's doing. And that's her job is to manage the herd. And when she came in here and shared breath with you, that was her accepting you as a part of her herd. And she will be okay. Like she can hold that. She can handle that. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been doing it. She's 14 now. She's been doing it for a long time. And even just add, adding that extra layer of packaging it for the client to go, because they they love the animals. They are going to worry about the animals. So we don't want to make it like it's, sure. they've upset them or, yeah, cause them dramas. So you know? personality-wise, an actually sort of empathetic dog, if such a thing exists, is probably not an ideal dog. Tell me about the ideal dog. Is it that happy idiot Labrador that just thinks everything is wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I have two Labradors. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do they find that First type of, of all, dog distracting in therapy? Does that yeah. distract the actual event that should be taking place? Like if the dog yes, is too does. playful and too extreme, I'm guessing you're answering in between my questions, but I would kind of think as a therapist or even as a client, if I had a dog in there that was pretty jovial and wanted to run around and pick up balls and play with toys with me, my session would probably be more, if I was the client, would be more involved in playing with the dog. 
then, you know, yes. you've got somebody sitting in the corner going, oh, how do you feel today? Explain what's going on in your life. And you're thinking, yeah, it's all good. Thanks, mate. I'm playing with the dog. Kids cotton on real fast that, that this is a fantastic avoidance strategy. Mm. This is great. Thank you, lady, for bringing this dog, and I'll see you in an hour, I guess. <laughs> and adults, adults, they use it as an avoidance strategy, which why wouldn't you? Of course you would. Like it's way more reinforcing to just play with this dog than it is to delve into all this other shit that you don't really want to deal with. <laughs> mm. I'm thinking, and I'm just spitballing here, but I'm kind of thinking if it was me, I'm trying to think of the common person, how they would feel. If it was me sitting on the couch in a session, I would probably like a dog that was a bit more of a security blanket that would sort of sit next to me mm. and I could touch it and and pat it and caress yeah. it while I was having the session. And that way I, I could feel comfortable that I've got something there to touch. Like a lot of people who have PTSD, a colleague of mine that I do courses with occasionally, he's got a PTSD certified dog um, or a therapy or an assistance dog, if you like. His main criteria is simply just if he's feeling overwhelmed, it's just simply to be able to put his hand on the dog and just feel the heartbeat of the dog and feel the dog breathing yeah. and yeah. trying to harmonize himself with the synchronicity of the dog breathing and the heart regularity of the dog. He feels that brings him back to baseline. Everyone's different. I know everyone's different and you can't go into therapy sessions or mental health thinking, oh, one situation with a dog will solve all problems with all clients that enter my rooms. Yes. I'm going to address all these points. So dog type, best dog type, dogs that are least likely to bite someone. So big (laughs) issue. (laughs) The dogs that are going to bite people are the ones that are out of out of control play, that red zone play, because they'll accidentally probably bite someone or get too excited or whatever, and anxious dogs. We're looking for a dog. I don't really care what breed it is. We'll train any breed. If you've already got a dog and you think this dog's a great fit, I don't care what breed it is, but it's about the dog's personality and temperament. So if they are the type of dog that wants to meet new people, so you're walking them down the street and they want to meet new people and they like going new places, to me, it's like a dog that's an extrovert. So if your dog's a bit of an extrovert, they're probably going to be good at this job because the big thing that the client wants is to be acknowledged by the dog. So when they go come in and they want to interact with the dog, if the dog snobs them, that's like heartbreaking for these people that have come in and they're already not in a good place for whatever reason. And now this dog doesn't like me and they will, they'll say things like, why is this dog even here? Like, oh, he doesn't like me. They'll say stuff like that. And now good job. Now we're off to a terrible start to this therapeutic relationship and this space here. So a dog that wants to greet people, I don't like dogs that take a while to warm up that people describe them like that even though I can see that in some situations that could be useful because it could be a good learning moment for someone who, you know, like it's, that could be a social skills learning moment and a relationship learning moment and things like that. But for especially the type of work that the dogs are being exposed to, that to me feels like an introvert, having an introvert go and do an extrovert's job Mm. because they're going to have to be outgoing all the time. And that's not what they like, like they can do it, but they don't like doing it. And so I think like Sunny's been a therapy dog for 11 years. Like these dogs have careers. So Oliver's been a therapy dog for eight years. Nala's been a therapy dog for four years. So they have careers in this work. And I think 
if we use dogs that are going to have their cup constantly emptied by the work and they have to, the dog has to work so hard just to even meet people um, and overcome that sort of little bit of social anxiety every time, how long are we doing that for? Because we're seeing six clients a day, you know, like average. So that's six times a day plus people in the waiting room, plus people out on the weed walk, plus whatever, whatever. I'm not a fan, so I don't like dogs that take a while to warm up. I think it's a problem. Lots of people going for the Labradoodles, Cavoodles, Oodle, whatever, because of the coat thing, because mm. uh, it's easier. So the dog that I like to assess is those happy idiots that are not going to bite. Very unlikely because they're just having a great time, but they're managed because I'm like, cool, we're probably safe with this. Like, this is great. Mm-hmm. Although, actually, I will talk to you about this golden retriever I saw the other day. <laughs> Those dogs, cool. But we've got German Shepherds. Like, we've got, you know, whatever. Like, whatever dog. We've got, like, at our clinic, we've got mixed mutt staff. We've got a Roddy Cross lab. My dogs, we've got Border Collies. Like, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Sure. I tell people if they're going to buy a dog for the work, just hedge your bets on something that's an extrovert. Like do your research on the breed. Don't go and buy Frenchies. A lot of Frenchies, they can be like very owner. They just want to be with their owner. Mm -hmm. Those types of breeds of dog that like they sort of just want to hang out with their person, that can cause problems in the therapy space because you, the therapist, have just got your dog there that just wants to interact with you and then the people come in and they're like, so can I pat the dog or like what's going on? <laughs> yeah. It sounds exactly like dog sport. Like in that, if you already have the dog, see if the dog works out and don't mm. get too wrapped up around it. But if you want to be good at this and you're getting a dog, then get a dog with the right temperament in mind. And, and the breeds that are going to be yes. likely to do that is highly likely that Labrador is the breed, right? Right. Yeah. So that's what you have, um, right? You have labs. Yeah. Cause I chose to yeah. like my, most freak, my youngest dog, Nala, I want an Australian shepherd. That's the dog I want. Yeah. I also want my life to not be very difficult all the time when I try to fit yeah. that I mean, dog that, that's into common. That's what I'm common, trying to right? do. Like I, I like pit bulls, but I, I compete in dog mm. sport. The chances of me putting my hands on a pit bull that's going to be capable of doing the things that I want is very slim. So therefore I'm stuck mm. with Malinois for the rest of my life. Which, like I can handle that, but that's the reality of it. And that's when people always say to me, oh, but that's not the kind of dog I want. I'm like, well, then you want to do the wrong kind of sport. You have to decide which yeah. which, which are you interested in. I, I imagine it's exactly the same for you. Yes. Yeah. People buy these most random breeds. They, they bring me these random breeds that are like, not going to be so one of the things we have a puppy school as well but one of the things that I do is go straight on those kennel websites and put their dog breed in in the puppy school and I'm like cool so we can probably expect like this to be kind of the picture and try and get them prepared for like all right so drive and things like that so that they understand like these are some of the things that are potentially going to pop up for you with this dog so just get prepared for that and also understand that this dog's an introvert. Mm -hmm. So, or, you know, the breed characteristics, it's most likely going to be an introvert. So let's put more focus on making it really reinforcing to meet other people. A lot of the training that we do is down-regulating the dog. So all that impulse control is the, the main thing that I care about because of exactly what you said, Glenn. Like we can't have dogs running around like idiots because the kids will be like, hell yeah, <laughs> this is sick. And also running around. 
and then it's chaos. So the like pretty much the main thing we teach is how to settle the dogs down. Okay, let me tease that apart a little bit. So in order to be a therapy dog, it's just a standard public access test, right, that the dog has to do that – uh, they don't have to do a public access test because they're not going into public spaces. Right, so okay. they don't, they're not going to Coles. Like they're not doing that stuff. They're going into places where the owner of the premises has approved that they can go in there. So mm. that's in schools, that's the principle. Um, but in like private practices, it's like any workplace. Like you can take it if you work in Repco and you own it or whatever, like right. you can take your dog in there. Um, so they don't have to do a public access test, but it's similar. Very similar. Right. Okay. So then the training beyond not crapping in the house, right? Like, as you say, mm-hmm. it's it's mostly that you're focused on being able to downregulate the dog and keep, like, I suppose it would be a lot of controlling the arousal of the dog, yes. being able to bring it up, yes. bring it down pretty carefully. Yes. And how do you, yeah. like, what's your sort of go-to for that? Like, let's get into the weeds a little bit on, on that as much as you can ex- explain it. So tone of voice is the main thing. We talk to the dogs and our non-terminating cues are our tone. So we use good dog, mm-hmm. good dog, either praise tone or warning tone. And then we use no for marking a mistake and we use free as our release command. Mm-hmm. The big thing that we focus on is that the dogs are working well under distraction. So people kind of get overwhelmed, but the dog can sit. It should be able to sit whether you're standing beside it or not standing beside it. And it should be able to sit while a ball rolls past and things like that. And so we work the dogs up to being able to work under a distraction because you know, what's really fucking distracting kids, kids are very <laughs> distracting. Yeah. Like they want to do stuff. So my older lad, Sonny, he was so toy obsessed, like fetch, like he still plays fetch. And the kids want to play fetch and we would use fetch as a engagement thing. Like I'm talking about kids that like are mute, like selective mutism or like totally defiant, like the kids that are just really difficult to engage, super, super, super anxious. So they come in, they don't want to see a psychologist. They don't know why they're here. They don't want to leave the parent. Like there's all this stuff going on. They're freaking out. And so we're like, you know what? Sunny loves this toy and I've got to talk to your mum for a minute. So you know, while we're chatting here, do you just, could you please throw the toy for Sonny? Cause he's going to get really bored. Like, and I can't, I just can't give him attention right now. I need you to, can you help me out? And they're like, I've got a job to do. What? Yeah. So they're like, okay, next throwing the toy. So they can throw the toy, the dog for a bit. While I talk to mom, okay, what's the history of this kid? You know, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Now I want you to stop playing fetch because a, the dog can't play fetch for an hour. It's not good for the dog. B, we actually have to do some work because otherwise I'm going to get sued, like in disciplined by the medical board for taking all your money and not being a psychologist. So uh, then we would have things like a mat stay or a drop or something like that and they'd go, oh, Sunny must be exhausted because, you know, you pop, pop him on the mat and the kid is still throwing the toy. Because right, they're like, okay. and they're like talking to the dog. They're like, Sunny, is Like, you know, trying to get the dog to get the toy and the dog's just on the mat and they're like, oh, well. Game's over, kid. We had fun. Because I think of that as a trainer. There's some tricky training in there, right, in that the dog does need to engage with the children, find them Mm -hmm. quite valuable and highly reinforcing Mm -hmm. to be in the presence of, play the games with the kids, but Mm -hmm. at the same time be taking direction from the handler, which is Mm -hmm. the therapist, and even being disobedient to the kid. Like if the kid is trying to promote the dog to throw the ball, if the handler has said, no, you're staying on the mat – the dog has to be like, sorry, kid, I'm staying on the mat. So th- th- there's a pretty yes. high level of training involved in that, right? 
There is. And I actually don't enforce anything that a kid tells the dog to do, which is a sneaky little trick in there because if the kids are telling the dog, the kids, I don't, you've got kids, I don't know if your kids like this, but they are just talk at the dogs constantly. Mm. They talk at the dogs constantly. They will destroy whatever recall. If you're using cum <laughs> as a recall, it's gone. Bye, yeah. bye-bye, hours and hours and hours of work, that's gone. If you've just been using your dog's name to mean anything to your dog, that's gone. Bye yeah. name. Yeah. Everything. They it, Sit, drop, drop, sit, drop, roll over. Da, 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 da. It just keeps going. You show kids one trick, one trick with the dog, and they're like, Every time I see this dog, it has to do this trick 80 times, like in a row. And I'm like, Lord, help me. Lord, help this dog. So I don't force the dogs to do what the kids say. Like we just have that as a bit of a like, oh, oh, well, like (laughs) he's not doing it. Oh, oh, well. Because I think it would be so stressful for the dogs if I was like, hey, dog, he said shake. You need to shake. I can guide the kids and show them like we've got a treat out or something and like show them how to do it if that's the goal of what we're like. We use trick training in the sessions all the time. Like it's a skills mastery thing for the kids. It's confidence thing. We make up trick shows and like show them to the parents and all that sort of stuff. But you'll say, oh, I use, this is going to sound strange. I reward the children for making an effort in their session with dog treats. They don't eat them. They get to usually them to the dog. <laughs> they get to use them. That's our token economy. Right. So they get to That's use clever. the dog treats for something with the dog. And the kids are so motivated. They're so motivated. You could be you could be like try, turning on all your charm to be like, okay, what's something that makes you happy, sad, worried, mad, or whatever? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm gonna give you two dog treats for every answer that you can get out here. Like, and they're like, bang, okay, I'm doing it. He, Crazy. A- Here's a left field question for you. Have you had any like naturally gifted kids with dogs kind of steal your dog from you a little bit? So like, for example, my older son, he's no better with dogs than any random kid. He is as good. In fact, maybe he's a little worse because he sees a lot of dangerous dogs and has seen a lot of dangerous dogs in his life. So his sort of, Mm. his default position is that dogs are dangerous, right? Because he's seen so many. But my youngest, he's a very good behavioral manipulator. And naturally, he knows exactly how far he can push a dog. Like even just as a one-year-old sitting in his high chair, holding like a leftover part of his food out for my dogs, he knows exactly how long he can do that before they the behavior goes extinct. And he reinforces with incredible timing, like better than I'd have. And he just naturally has that. And I'm curious if you've ever had a kid come into your practice that just sort of steals your dog a little bit from you in the same way that we as trainers, like I can steal people's dogs all the time, right? Like within two minutes, the oh, dog's like, literally. this guy's better yeah. than you. I want Every to Every single with person's him. dog. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had that happen in the practice where someone's got in your dog's head actually even better than you can control the dog? Not that I can recall with the dogs, but the horses for sure. Okay. So I work with the Brumby Project and one of their assistant trainer things for when people come in, they do a camp, they come in and we've got these like 15 wild horses, we've got 15 people, match them up, whatever, and then we teach them how to, what you know, gentle this wild horse. And I tell you now, these can be experienced horse people. And I'm like, okay, so yeah, I've got the worst timing and rope handling skills that I've ever seen in my life and this poor horse like it's because they're wild as well so it's super important your timing and your rope handling is very important for mm. a, a wild horse especially but these kids like so i brought a wild horse home in january don't listen to this atl i brought a wild horse home in january 
to share it with some of my kids. And so, you know, my kids have been gentling this wild horse um, and they're obsessed, obsessed, right? So they like, she's straight from the wild. And so they're like, oh my God, like I have got to pat her. Like she's, this is amazing. And so I have to, so two people close to the horse is too much pressure. Mm -hmm. So I have to stand right back and call out the instructions. Once you've got it, you can do it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, exactly where to put your body and to get into them. So I'll be up here calling out instructions and I've got these kids, ASD, ADHD, no self-regulation at all, no arousal regulation. Of one girl that's scared of bugs, she's out there in this grass, bugs flying around. Normally she'd be screaming and running at any bug anywhere, like totally over the top reaction to bugs. Kids that won't follow instructions, kids that yeah, all sorts of really difficult, difficult behaviours across this range of kids that I had follow the instructions perfectly. Mm-hmm get right in patting this wild horse in this paddock. I'm like, who are these kids? Who are these kids? First of all, how are they following these instructions? Mm. Secondly, adults with horse experience can't follow these instructions. Like it's just amazing to see when you do find kids or teens or whatever and they've just got this natural way. Yeah. So, so special, super, super, super special. Really I suppose as a cool. clinician that must be super empowering as well, like to have a kid then go, oh, oh yeah. there's a path for me. I am going to do terribly at school, but I will. There will always be a job for me in manipulating these horses or whatever it is. For sure. Yeah. Yep. We talk about that. Like I have a little girl who um a lot of really like social skills stuff going on at school and lots of stuff, and she managed to get right down to fern, and she had to crash her because the problem. The thing is, when they look at you, you got to step back. So that's the release. You're working your way in, and then you're back, and you're in, and you're back, and you're in, you're back. So she's, she's doing this and she crouched down and made herself smaller and the horse came over and was muzzling all over her face and she was patting it and she's turned around and I'm up the hill and she's giving this biggest grin and she goes, she trusts me. And I was like, oh, my God, like <laughs> she does trust you. But that turned into, so this kid's super violent with other kids. So <laughs> I get trouble all the time. And so we're talking about how did you get that horse to trust you? And she Talk through like, so, you know, I lowered my energy and I moved slower and when she looked at me, I stepped back and I talked quieter and all these things. And I was like, how do you get people to trust you then? And she was like, I don't know. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, do you know what? It's actually the same. Like if you your friend's getting upset because the teachers told me the friends feel like they're walking around on eggshells and it's a big problem, which they were. And if you do the exact same thing that you did with Fern to get her to trust you, I think that would help your friends trust mm. you as well. She's like, hmm, hmm. How are you going to do that without these horses? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, exactly. That's really uh, cool. Tell us about, have you had any, I mean, you, you obviously do deal with difficult, dangerous, potentially violent kids. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the impact of that on the dogs? What mitigation strategies do you have? What does that look like? We make sure that we're not advertising the service available for everybody, for starters. So I think that's a really important point that can sometimes get missed when, especially when people are first starting a business and they're trying to get work and they're sort of like, oh, we can do animal assisted, like, oh, we got a therapy dog, like, ah, because you will realise quite quickly that not everybody is suitable for animal assisted therapy. And there's a range of people that are not suitable. There's some people out there that have got some pretty serious problems, including problems towards animals. And we have had situations before so we do an intake session with the client before exposing them to a dog or but the problem will be is that if you promised 
people via your website that there's a therapy dog and you can be around the therapy dog and then you have to tell someone, yeah, see, so not you though because you're just too unwell. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get in big trouble. That's yeah. not right. That's yeah. not the right thing to do. So we've got to be careful and screen things. You could go on and on and on. The biggest risk factors I find are particularly with kids and inability to redirect. So when you try to redirect a kid and they just ignore you and do whatever they want anyway, and they're engaging in sort of dangerous stuff, those ones are really tricky because we do need to be able to redirect away from the dog. Like I can control the dog as much as I want, but I can't touch that kid. So if they're not going to be able to redirect, then we would engage in traditional therapy first and get that happening and then introduce an animal if it's appropriate. Same with like your adult clients with more acute presentations, people that are like quite unpredictable or aggressive, violent, things like that. It's not only not fair on the dogs, but it's so stressful as the handler. Like when something like that's unfolding, it's like, oh shit, it's your dog. Know how much we love our dogs. Like it's your dog and you're trying to be a professional in the situation and manage the client and what their needs are. So you're trying to manage the needs of, both and you're emotionally invested in the dog Mm. so it's really hard a really really hard thing to manage and on that note as well I talk during our courses to people about you'll be sharing your dog and your bond and relationship that you have with your dog it's actually probably sort of links into what you're saying before Pat about like has anyone stolen your dog from you the dog is going to have a loving relationship with other people and you're not going to be the main character for Mm. that part of the show and some people choose not to do animal assisted therapy because of that they're not ready to share their dog and I think that's the right choice if you're not ready to share them and I get that I totally get it my motivation was that I wanted to share Sonny because of what I've learned from him my relationship with him and I sort of think I wanted to share and I'm saying the horses like I want to share them winter was hard for me she was my first Brumby and so she was a bit harder for me because we had a very, very special bond and relationship, but watching her with these kids and teens and building those relationships brings me so much joy. Like, Mm. but if it didn't, like if it triggered you a bit, that would be a time when you would go, okay, so maybe I'm not ready to share this animal. That's an interesting point. So you told us already you're a, you're a balanced trainer and that's where my brain goes to, right? Like you're explaining the situations, you know, talking through what is expected of the dog, the things that it might face. My brain immediately goes to, I'm going to be using a fair amount of sort of leash pressure to teach this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. especially in the down regulation, that sort of thing. I would want a lot of sort of emergency control over my dog because we've got, you know, I, what I imagine is somewhat unpredictable kids. Kids are unpredictable full stop add yes. neurodivergent Every after kid. that, then things get more challenging. Tell us about the training and the industry as a whole. Like what does that training look like? Where's the slide on that? What is your governing? Is there a governing body that, that controls this sort of thing? Tell us all about that. There wasn't. <laughs> so we're unregulated, right? So like the dog training industry, unregulated from as far as what the everyday person could understand what that means. I'm not unregulated because I'm a psychologist. So I'm regulated by the medical board, uh, which means that my 
professional conduct has to be in line with heaps of rules. So psychologists have lots and lots of rules. There are other professions that have less rules. Hang on, before you um, carry on, let we, me just see if I understand fully. You as a psychologist are heavily regulated. That That's a super regulated yes. industry. But Therapy Dogs Australia in the training of people to have the dogs in their psychology sessions, which they're regulated this from a psychology standpoint – the dog part of it is unregulated. So the training that you provide, the advice that you give, all of that, there is nobody that tells you how that has to go, right? Officially, yes. So there's no body that says you know, there's no law, you know, like there's no. Mm-hmm. So being a psychologist in the space, like everything you do, like everything I do is up for discussion with APRA. If there's a complaint, a notification that gets made, I come into the space, the dog training space with, yeah, like I get it, like that it's unregulated, but I'm not unregulated in this space. So I know that because I've received notifications to APRA before regarding dog training (laughs) and the health ombudsman. So I disgruntled people whose dogs didn't pass the course. So you can, like I you are, may not be, but I am regulated in the dog training world, which is such a weird, like this perception thing. Like it's like, what line am I on mm-hmm. here, guys? So I have had like a lot of, yeah, like we do things with our dog training. We do it very similar to how we just be a psychologist because it's easier. It's just easier that way. I don't have to in terms of, yeah, we don't have a body that says therapy dogs must be trained like X, Y, Z. However, there are some popping up. So there are a couple of people or whoever that have, you know, put their hand up and they've come up with a name and they've decided that we should have a regulatory body. We should have these bodies. I'm all for regulation. Actually, actually I'm a fan of regulation because I understand it from a professional's point of view as a psychologist. Like we have it to keep people safe. We have it to keep vulnerable people safe. I'm all for that. The difficulty that I've got with regulation in the dog industry is that we are a very emotional group of people. So (laughs) I just don't know that we're going to be able to make good choices, guys, until we take a few deep breaths and maybe do some thought restructuring or something. So the bodies that have popped up, we're a member of ATL. We've been one of their training organizations for since whatever. They're just a group of people that found out about animal assisted therapies, thought it was cool and wanted to push it more like advertise or like, I don't know, link people from the public to these services and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, cool. Like most of, most of the trainers and whatever industry people sort of have been affiliated with ATL. Um, what does ATL stage. stand for? Who, who is ATL? Animal Therapies Limited. Okay. They have had conferences. I've spoken at their conferences and stuff, you know. All cool and that's great. But in the past they've had sort of this, They put, so there was a code of conduct that came out. And like in most stuff, like it, there is this push for force-free, positive-only training that gets included in these documents. Like there's other documents you know, even internationally gets included in these documents. It's more of a side note sort of thing. Like, but they'll say stuff like that you can, it's open to interpretation, you know. I don't know what the wording is, but there's always some wording in there that I'm like, 
Yeah, I feel like I could fit lemur into that. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that fits in there. But recently, ATL brought out a position statement, and they've defined because they had force free on their website, and I knew it was there, and I was like, well that's not even a real thing. So obviously that's open to interpretation too. Great. I can fit into that. But yeah, anyway, it came up in conversation and now there's a position statement that's been released. Right. And she ain't real great in my opinion. So the vibe of the document is positive only training methods for therapy and assistance dogs. Frustrating for me to hear and see and read Frustrating, I've been like actually quite connected with ATL for a while and so frustrating to have just found out about it after it's been written. But also I take real issue with the recommendations that are in the document because it does recommend that we're not using any collar grabbing or leash pressure or negative reinforcement on a greater scale. Oops, I did it again. I messed with your podcast, got lost in the game, oh baby baby. It was a long one so we cut it in half and reserved the second spicy half for episode 2. Hey that's it for another episode of The Canine Paradigm. If you like what you've been listening to, don't forget to like, share or subscribe on any of the podcasting directories you listen to us. And then most importantly, tell a friend. Knock on their door and tell them face to face or even call them at some ungodly hour of the morning and then remind them about it the next day, so they are sure to remember and appreciate your proactivity. If you want to help us out, You can buy some of our merch at spring.com and then type in the canine paradigm in their search bar to see our little shop front. Look great in our swag and be the envy of dog industry people around the world, knowing you look hardcore and amazing. Then go to our Patreon channel, dump wads of cash in there and get access to so much information your bottom will hurt. Trust me, there's a lot of education in there and access to our monthly lives as well. Tell a friend and make them sign up as Apple Vision is on the cards and that stuff ain't cheap. You can also join our Facebook discussion group which is full of amazing people all over the world having great dog-related conversations. And if you want to send us an email, send it to info at thecanineparadigm.com. Goodbye. <laughs>